Chapter 8 The Wolf and the Bear October 1773 Controlled chaos mingling with disdain envelops his thoughts. The sunrise was revelatory to Agador as he watched the burning ball rise from the sea's horizon. The hellish abomination was rising from the depths to consume the life that was. He was murderously optimistic when it came to killing and violence. Agador thrived for the king's acknowledgement of his deadly skills. It was his personal goal to join the knighthood under his glorious king. He was hoping by killing the king's bane, this would consequently be the result. The trip from London to the colonies was a dull, slow ride, and Agador preferred land over sea. He fashioned himself an elegant man with a taste for brutality. In reality, he was a brutal man with elegant taste. The Major General's 30-man element was his direct platoon brought with him from the King's Guard headquarters at the Royal Palace. Designed to operate among the shadows, his elite unit of men had the full endorsement of King George III. The month-long journey was coming to a head, and the Major General could not be more relieved. Land ho! A sailor from the crow's nest shouts to the deck. Agador hears the announcement and heads below deck to the squad bay to prepare his men for departure off the ship. The ship's interior was dank and smelled of rotten food. Wake up, cunts! He endearingly shouts to his men. All the swinging cloth hammocks reveal soldiers' legs hanging out as they drop to the deck. Each one of the men have eager looks on their faces as they know they'll soon be going to work. Gentlemen, we have been sent from King George III himself to personally take care and dispose of the rebel extremist group so aptly named the King's Bane. It is our mission to find and kill these bandits before they create any more sympathizers for their petty, rebellious cause. These insurgents will be hunted down and killed. That is my promise to our king, and I intend on keeping the promise. Is that understood? He asks his men. Aye, sir! Highly skilled men shout in unison. Good. Now gather your things and prepare for landfall, you bloody heathens. They do as instructed, and Agador makes his way to the top deck. The men were his pride. As a major general, he undoubtedly had the respect of all for the rank he carried. But these men, his men, respected the man, not the rank. Four longboats arrive at the Boston Harbor docks, and Major General Agador Ivy is the first person off the boats and on the dock. Within moments, the rest of the men are following him onto the docks, and their presence is known immediately. Ah, Major General Ivy, we were not expecting you... The man is cut off. Of course you weren't. You will not find us on the manifest. Now point me in the direction of the highest ranking official in the harbor. The fierce and notorious officer demands. Right you are, sir. Follow me, please. He says to the Major General and begins walking toward Mills Lane. The poverty and pure haggardness of the city reminded him it has not changed since his time in the latter years of the wars. A few minutes goes by and the foot soldier stops and points at a three-story house. There you are, sir. Thomas Young's residence? Good, Agador replies and begins walking towards the house. As the Major General makes his way to the front porch stairs, he raises his hand to knock. The door opens. Major General Agador Ivy, the old man says as he opens the door, greeting Agador. Major or privateer captain or Agador replies smugly to his counterpart. I see you're still fighting for these little petty colonies, Thomas. Thomas lightly laughs and responds, 
Yeah, I see you're still our majesty's precious hound dog. How far has he lengthened your leash this time? Now, now, Thomas. We are here to handle problems you seemingly cannot control. Am I wrong? Agador asked Thomas, not biting his bait. If this were his younger years, Agador would have acted much differently. But with his age came wisdom and the ability to choose his battles. Right and wrong are only a matter of perception, Mr. Ivy. Have you ever once considered your king to be, I don't know, a bit mad in the mind? Thomas questions the Major General. Rage consumes Agador's body and his face becomes hot. He is our king. Perhaps you are right, Major General, Thomas says, patronizing the man. Agador calms down and knows Thomas is merely trying to rile him up. It was Thomas being Thomas, and the British Major General knew the old privateer's cunning. You are getting to be too old to handle a small band of rebels, I see. I will make quick work of this, indeed. No need to worry any longer, he smiles eerily at Thomas. Uh, the empty squad barracks is currently housing wine and grain. Remove them, and you and your men can find housing there, Thomas says to the Major General, pointing to the barracks building down the street with an insincere smile across his face. Very well. These accommodations will suffice nicely. We will need to have a sit-down soon about these rebels and the new strategy to remove them. So we shall, Thomas replies directly. Agador knew his tumultuous career within the British Army was a well-known story, but the stories of Major Thomas Young's bravery and the ruthlessness shook the hardest men. It was clear the old man was still not fond of him, even after all these years. Move out! Agador shouts to his men. You'll find the colonies are not how you last left them in 62, Major General, but I will give you all my resources to find these rebels, Thomas says to him in a seemingly genuine tone. I'm sure I'll find the colonies just how they were when I left, Major. Full of savages, belligerents, and drunks so unprepared for life, they wither and die upon trying. Agador shakes his head. <laughs> Wasteful. Really. The entire lot. The Major General walks off the porch and follows his men down the road to their new home. The atmosphere was how he expected it to be. Hostile. He didn't acquire the rank of Major General if he cowered away from hostilities. It was a challenge he eagerly anticipated. After a day-long period of cleaning and reorganizing the barracks within the unit, Major General Ivy recruited three of his soldiers to map the town, survey the locals, and build their intelligence diagnosis for him. The new moon kept the sky dark over Boston as his three soldiers roamed the town. Several hours passed, and the Major General sent the three soldiers back to the barracks after gathering their information, and he made his way to Thomas Young's home. As he walked to his house, he thought of all the weak spots within the city the three men noticed and all the new questions he had for one of the highest authorities in the harbor. He makes his way up to the porch, steps and knocks on the door. Who is it? A female voice says from inside the house. Ma'am, this is Major General Ivy. I've come to speak with Thomas Young. He's out. Return tomorrow. The female voice replies to the door sternly. Hmm. Odd. He says quietly under his breath and exits the porch, heading back toward the barracks. Agador's walk back was a bit slower. His mind was spinning to all the new possibilities and alternative theories of the rebel situation in Boston. Agador knew all too well Thomas Young's cunningness was deadly. But to what extent, he questioned. Agador had to approach his situation in Boston carefully if he were to complete his mission and return to London in splendid gratification.
Captain Vela! Major General Ivy shouts into the squad bay of the barracks. Aye, sir! The man shouts from the opposite end. Captain Francis Vela was Major General Ivy's closest confidant, knowing the Major General from his first year in the King's service in the British Army. Francis Vela was a shorter man that knew only violence and utilized it expertly. His ability to kill made him a natural asset early in his career, and Major General Ivy plucked him from his regiment, repurposing him into his personal squad. Their bond over bloodshed on various battlefields united these two on a closer level than most of the rest of the 30-man squad. I want you to tail committee leader Thomas Young. Something is off, and I want to know what it is before I meet with him again, Agador says to Captain Valet. Aye, sir. I will get it done. Be safe, and do not be seen, Agador insists to the captain firmly. Yes, sir, he replies. The older Englishman places a hood of his Cossack over his head before heading out of the rear barracks door, disappearing into the crowds. Agador knew he could trust Captain Valet with obtaining information covertly and tactfully from individuals. The candles in the commander's quarters were abundant as a major general likes to read with plenty of light. His latest endeavor, Candide by Voltaire, kept him entertained, but he did not care much for optimism and satire. His idea of comedy was Inferno by Dante. A knock on the door brings the major general back to reality. Yes, what is it? Open the door. His fiery tone never ceased, even in his relaxed state. The guards open the door and says, Captain Valet has returned, sir. The hooded Captain Valet walks into the commander's quarters and stands at attention before his superior. At ease, Francis. What news do you have? Agador asks the captain nonchalantly, as if there was no need for such formalities. Removing his hood, he rests his body and speaks. You are not wrong, sir. The target's activity is awfully peculiar, and he should not be trusted with the inner workings of your plan to root out these rebels. His routes and routines are timed and coordinated as if he knows he is being watched. Either he is extremely paranoid, or he is extremely consistent. Either way, I will keep my eyes on him. Hmm. Interesting, the Major General says slightly. Regardless of his dealings, we will keep our eyes on him. For now, we will need to plan our capture of these degenerates and spike their heads for the other worthless colonists to see. Let us make that priority number one, Captain. I believe the old retired major is just a paranoid old man stuck in his ways. He is not the concern. Keep an eye on him just in case, Agador says sternly, standing up, walking from behind his desk. You see, Captain, we kill these bandits, and we return to London, leaving this wretched land behind never to set foot here again. Aye, sir. They will die, and we will not fail, Captain Valet replies with cold words to his longtime friend.